Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. My name is Catherine, and I'm here tonight with my co-hosts, Jean and Amanda. Hi, ladies. Hi, Hi Catherine. Catherine. How are both of you tonight? Good. Glad to be here. Well, Jean, I'm, I'm glad. Because I was thinking that, you know, tonight our, our topic is freedom. So our, our theme song, which if you're new to listening to the Bubble Hour, was uh, written and performed by Jean. Um, that's it's a great opener for the topic tonight. That's true. You're right. Free, free, I, free, 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 free. Yeah, I love it. So when we romanticize our drinking days, we may feel like they were carefree and we had the freedom to do as we pleased. We like doing things our 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 own way and we don't like being told what to do then again on further reflection we remember that alcohol didn't leave us with many choices no matter how hard we tried no matter our best intentions and no matter the consequences it always called us back it left us with shame and sadness and we see now drinking was either at the root of or exacerbated all of our problems In sobriety, we come to find that life is for living, not enduring, and we no longer are burdened with feeding the beast, which leaves room for a full life. We make authentic connections with our true selves and with others, and we have clear insight about how to show up for our lives without fear. In recovery, we find freedom. And tonight's guest is a person with a great zest for life, so I know he is going to have a lot of inspiring ideas on our topic Please welcome Scott. Hi, Scott. Thank you for being here. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's a it's an honor and a pleasure to be here on the Bubble Hour. Well, thank you. So we're gonna I'm gonna just you know open it right up by turning it over to you and just having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your recovery journey. Sure. Okay. Well, I am uh, just I have just celebrated two years without drinking. And uh, I was uh, someone who pretty much started off drinking casually and drinking uh, fun with all of my friends. And I come from a family where drinking is really a huge part of uh, most of the events growing up. Uh, My parents were the kind of folks who believed that, you know, it's safer to have us drinking at home rather than drinking out with, uh, you know, where we might be able to drive. So alcohol was always 
pretty accessible, even though, you know, they weren't handing it to us, but, um, you know, kind of a blind eye. And, of course, when they partied, they partied, you know, till uh, wonderfully, you know, still, I still party with them, but um, alcohol was usually present. And so uh, pr- I didn't really get started drinking too heavily in high school, although I did like to party, uh, you know, have drinks on the weekend. But I think it was really uh, in college, uh a few years in the college when I started um, finding that like a six pack at the end of the night was like, just like the perfect amount to get me into this kind of happy, buzzy feeling. And Mm -hmm. um, that just, uh, it was so simple back then to do and to, to live, you know, and, and get away with the six pack night. And then it was um, a six pack of uh, an ice beer. And I found that the ice beer had, a little bit more alcohol, so I was able to, like, you know, still have mm-hmm. six beers, but have it feel like more, but, you know, in my mind, like, oh, I have a six thing. Well, you know, years go by, and um, I, I, one of the funniest things is a lot of my social friends really do have alcohol around with just about everything they do, so it never was out of place for me to be drinking um, at all, and so what ended up happening was uh, I got more comfortable, you know, the, the show is about freedom. And I know that some people, and I had the same thing. Like I, I love the freedom of, Hey, waking up on the morning and cracking a beer, uh, first thing in the morning, you know, it's like the same kind of freedom that when I used to be able to have like cold pizza without someone looking over my shoulder, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm an adult now. I could have a beer when I want in the morning. And, um, and so it ended up like long story short, over a period of time, I ended up becoming, uh, the kind of guy who would, the minute I got home from work, start drinking. Um, and it got to the point where hard alcohol was really the only thing that was going to get me there uh, to as quickly as I wanted to. Uh, and so in some senses, I was kind of a dangerous alcoholic in the sense that I was functioning um, pretty well. And uh, as a matter of fact, things were going really well in my job. Um, and I, I later found out it was because I was... <laughs> able to just kind of yes man myself through work Um, and what was really interesting is most people when they quit drink or when they can't quit drinking they end up losing their job but for me it was quite the opposite when I finally stopped drinking I realized uh, that I was kind of walking through life and walking through and and maybe being taken advantage of or felt like I was uh, you know and so it's just kind of interesting that um I think for me, the, it, it almost played a role where I could just kind of shut up through the day uh, waiting to get home, and that actually worked out for me at work. And so that was a, a weird thing where, uh, you know, I think that might be abnormal. But what happened was I had a, I had a child, uh, two two kids, and, you know, it was the kind of thing where year after year I would be saying, oh, you know, when when this happens, I'm going to I'm going to slow down or I'm going to stop. And and then it got to the point where I knew there there was no doubt that I knew I had to stop. And at that point, it was just a matter of trying to stop and and doing it. Um, But the years were just literally like years were flying by. I mean, flying Mm -hmm. by. It was ridiculous. Uh, And so, you know, these anniversaries just kept popping up and there I was drunk again on Christmas morning. There I was drunk again, Easter morning, you know, like waking up before the kids got up to like 
quickly get a couple shots in so that like I had that warm feeling for Christmas instead of you know, waiting for the for the that feeling. Uh so what happened was a couple times I tried to stop um and I was able to stop for about a month at a time. Uh, maybe two months. And I would have those great feelings of victory, like, yeah, I did it. Um and uh, you know, now I can go back and of course uh it just doesn't work that way. And uh every time mm-hmm. I would go back, uh, it would end up usually getting worse. Um, I know this is a great show about recovery, so one of the things, there there was an online service that I used. It was kind of like a 12-step or a program where people would share stuff online. And so for years I would read stuff on these forums and just start to see the exact patterns of, oh, my gosh, that's me, That's I do that. you know. Um, and it, a lot of the stories... I, it, I found that through different times in my drinking, different stories would appeal to me. And I know that a lot of times they would say uh, stuff like, don't talk about how much you drink. But, I mean, for me personally, I was always trying to compare, like, what did they drink? Did they drink as much as me? You know, comparing myself. And in retrospect, now that I don't drink anymore, I can see why that doesn't really matter. You know, that one person's one drink is someone's 30 drinks, and that doesn't matter. Um, as far as it's not a game of competing. And so I eventually ended up looking past that stuff, and then I was really into the stories that were so common, like, um, you know, finding a different liquor store to go to every day so you don't have the familiar (laughs) face of the same people. And I know that's a common story that just keeps happening. So (laughs) all of these different things, I was like, wow, these are behaviors that I thought I was so tricky and clever about, and here they are, have been written by... By right, and there's like uh, thousands of people saying, "Oh, I did that in the '60s and the '70s and '80s," and, you know, <laughs> just realizing that every one of these things that uh, was already invented, um, dealt with, you know, mourned and and moved on, um, it was really helpful to have other people's stories. So what ended up happening, and this is why it's so wonderful that I I was blessed to be on the show today, is a real story about freedom. And that is that I used to work for uh, a nonprofit that would put me into the juvenile justice systems here in uh, where I live. And so basically I worked with jail kids, kids who were locked up, and I spent years uh, trying to work on these kids to get them to make decisions so that they would not continue to get incarcerated. And the uh, basically it's called recidivating when they keep coming back for minor offenses. And so we just tried every single thing that we could think of, and, and including, you know, giving them wonderful skills and and uh, degrees, all of these things, and, and kids would keep reoffending and making decisions that would get them behind bars. And they knew what was doing that. So I'll never forget, I was in my basement drinking alone one night, and I literally was so angry. One of the kids that had been doing so well out of prison made some simple mistake, and I knew that he knew he was making the wrong mistake. So anyway, he ended up having to go back, and I'm angry in my basement, and I yell out loud, literally, to nobody, these kids know exactly what decisions they can make to go back, and they keep 
doing it? And right after I say that, I throw back a shot, literally. I, mm-hmm. And the drink is going into my mouth, and I'm hearing what I had just yelled out loud. And it was that, that was the <laughs> moment. Of, uh, you know, they talk about the light coming down. Um, and, I mean, I just couldn't, it just hit me right there that, like, and what's funny is that, through my teaching there, I, I got to really look at so many parallels of these kids who are locked up physically and how many of us in life make decisions that lock us up uh, emotionally or physically. And none was more clearer than my own uh, decision to pick up a drink. And knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, what I told these kids is like, hey, if you get in a car with someone who has weed on them or something like that, even if you're not smoking the weed or whatever, like you know that there's a 1% chance that you'll pull over. And, and if that happens, that's 1% chance that you're going to be locked up again for months. You know, and, and it's a one decision that will cost you months, possibly years of your life. And it was that literal with me and <laughs> the drink that like, I, I finally realized that it was just these one things. And sure, there was times where I could get away with it, have a couple beers here and there and move on. But just like these kids with their decisions, if they got away with one little thing, it would just make it okay to do the next one. And then eventually, just like uh, they would get locked up, I would be back in the trap. So that was a huge moment. And that was pretty much, I was able to finally cut it out at that point. Um, There was that. And then one other quick story about I had, been invited with some of my students to um, the White House. I got to meet the vice president and have lunch with him. <laughs> and I came home that day, and this is kind of a weird story, but I think I have like a white privilege <laughs> drinking problem, which I think is needs to be put out there because I'm working with a whole bunch of kids who have problems that they were structurally, some of them, born into. And here I am, the guy who almost like chose this path by accident not realizing that I was putting on my own traps. But at the same time, I had the privilege to be able to, like, work on it in ways that others didn't. So anyway, the story of the president's, uh, the White House, is that I came home realizing that when I was kind of half, uh, you know, half working through my life, amazing things um, were, were, opportunities were happening. But if I had been present in my life, then that opportunity where I was there, I wouldn't have just been like sitting, you know, as an, as an accident there. Um, and I just realized, wow, I'm getting crossing over wonderful opportunities and year after year I'm missing them because I'm not present. And it's not that I wasn't drunk. I was drunk that day. It doesn't matter when you're drinking like mm-hmm. that. My brain was, I could have been sober a week or two weeks before that. And my brain still wasn't ready to where right. it is now having two years. And so that's when I, I bawled all night. You know, you would think I would come home and celebrate, but I actually came home in a depression of what have I, what am I giving up? What am I letting go? And, and as a musician, you mentioned that before. Um, for years, I stopped playing music live, um, and I stopped writing. I couldn't get through writing songs. I would write a little bit and then kind of buzz out. And and I kept blaming the kids. <laughs> I kept blaming, oh, you know, I'm a guy again, kids. And then all of a sudden, you know, I just said, no, it's not the kids at all. It's I can't get through a night without falling asleep halfway through <laughs> the night, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, 
so all of a sudden things in my life were just passing by um year after year came by it wasn't playing out live my career with that was going and then the worst is i was seeing these kids grow up and i was just realizing um oh my gosh like i'm not here for them and like I would like, oh my gosh, the birthday party's already over. It's already over. What? Where's everyone going? You know, and yeah. I hadn't even like spent one minute with the kid. You know, <laughs> like so it was moments like that that finally I was able to, um, you know, finally stop doing it. So I guess I'll stop there. And that's yeah, a lot. there's so much. There's so much there, Scott. Thank you. I mean, I I, I didn't know the story of your work with the juvenile justice system um, mm. when I asked you to do the show. And so when you told me that story, I was just like, whoa, that's just, it feels like a God shot, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, and I, I love your comment about not being present because I feel like it is that two part thing in recovery. It's like, first we kind of get to get out of the black hole of drinking and then it's like oh wait it's this whole life that's in front of us that we have to show up for um Mm -hmm. and so you know i I think you have a few topics that you've prepared and and i have a few um you know one that i think is a good jumping off place based on what you just told us is that i had read this quote from a there's a recovery pamphlet called the grapevine and it said Looking back, we see that our freedom to choose badly was not, after all, a very real freedom. And that just makes me feel it's like what you were talking about with the kids going back to prison. And I, I heard a guy say, you know, whether things were good or bad, I only had one reaction, which was to drink. And that wasn't really a choice. And I remember thinking, like, whoa, that was me, too. Um, so, anyhow... Um, well, I don't know if you want to start with your some of the things that you had jotted down. Sure. Well, um, I had just thrown together a fun little uh, top ten freedoms that I realized after I drank I either have again or um, – so maybe I could just go through some of those and we'll see. Uh, cool. Because I think as you with, with that, you're, you're right. I, I think that – and I think you guys will all agree that keeps opening up sobriety and and then it Mm -hmm. it passes the not drinking and it turns into like just living this incredible new life every day and well you know i'm not even sure that it's part of recovery or just part of discovery of the next stuff but uh right here we go so i put together 10 top 10 things i'll read them in some of them um all right here we go freedom to be honest i thought that was a huge one um First of all, about my drinking, um, I love, you know, I, I'm not ashamed anymore to say I don't drink. Uh, I, I actually, I just have this, I'm confident with that now. And um, so, but but to be honest about how much I'm drinking, because I used to have the sneak drinks and that was really, you know, everyone was drinking, but, uh, you know, I would like go in, you know, if I was visiting um, relatives, have a little bottle in my backpack so I could like sneak off every once in a while, like, you know, having the beers with them, but then sneak off to get a couple shots to even out myself. Um, so like mm-hmm. freedom to not have to be dishonest around that, um, uh, freedom to be physically free. 
this was a huge one for me. I missed out on so much stuff because I didn't want to have to drive drunk. Um, how silly is that? Like, and uh, I mean, put it th- or or this like this type of thing a Sunday night at nine o'clock. I'd probably be like, oh, can we do it? I, you know, I would. I, I would be scared that I would be unreliable enough to be awake right now or not <laughs> to do something on a Sunday night. Me um, too. Like I would have been going to though. concerts. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. And like, I just never made plans on on weeknights because I knew when I got home I'd have a couple drinks. You know, if if. And so it was just so funny how I once I stopped drinking, I was able to go to people's art shows, concerts, all of this stuff that I just didn't because I knew I wouldn't be able to get home. Um, let's see, free to be more available and present. We talked about that one already, but that's probably one of the biggest ones for me. Um, it's just I, I really co- concentrate now on, especially with my kids or my wife or, you know, even my friends or, or even strangers, um, just being there for them because I know I spent so many years just not there. Like, And what's funny is I know I was a fun dad, but I just wasn't present. And there's no question about it that since the last two years, um, my relationships with my kids has improved exponentially. I can't even describe it. Um, And one of the things is my daughter, who's older, she was probably, she was like seven when I finally quit. So the first seven years of her life, I was a pretty heavy drinker. And, um, our relationship wasn't that great, but my son and, you know, he, his developmental years, he's younger. Um, we started to get closer. And so one thing of hope for your listeners is that, um, the relationship that I was damaged and I believe it was because of my non-presence or my laziness or my grumpiness. Um, even though I'm a very happy, low, go, go lucky guy, most of the time, um, that stuff was, was taking a toll, but the hopeful part is that it has all really turned around and, and, um, mm. you know, it's given me hope for for having great relationships here on out. And um, which leads me to my next one is uh, freedom from regret. And that was a huge one. I just, mm. I already talked about the years going by, my career, my musical career not going. Um, have I was the man of a thousand ideas and not one step towards any of them. Um, and so I, but I, I remember I once had this dream because I woke up. And uh, the dream was basically that I had this incredibly elaborate mansion that I had inherited, and um, or it was mine, and it was mine, but it was completely falling apart and like it was decrepit. And in this dream, it was so symbolic that like Scott, this is your soul, this is your body, this is like this is your potential is this mansion, but you're not taking care of it, and it's going to crumble and it's going to fall. And so that's just a metaphor for like how much in my life I was regretting, you know, missing, just missing out on all this stuff. And um, I love now like having the freedom of like, I'm choosing consciously what I'm doing. And and if if I do regret doing something, I have the energy to own that because I consciously chose what it was instead of just waking up being like, what? And for me, it wasn't even like what happened last night. It was more or less I, I wasn't even there. I know what happened, you know, which was almost mm-hmm. sadder. <laughs> um, you can stop me if I'm going to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, should I keep going down here? No, keep going. Okay. Um, freedom from worrying about health was a huge one for me. Um, as as I got 
on in the years of drinking, there were serious health things that started to happen. Um, some of them were just sleeping. My sleeping was completely awful. And um, I really thought that, you know, with the times I would try to quit, it wasn't always great. But after some good time under my belt, I sleep like a baby all the time. I wake up refreshed every morning. Um, so uh, I also definitely started to feel some bloating in, like, my liver area. And I remember I constantly would just sit there and kind of poke my body a little bit because I remember, like, the doctor once felt there. She's like, oh, it feels fine. But I just kept feeling it. And there's, like, I was like, this biscuit thing, like, underneath my ribs, like, it feels bigger today, you know. Or mm-hmm. or after a night of heavy drinking, like, I would feel like a little, like, a buzz down there, like a little burn. And I don't know. You know, I got so I constantly was fearing, and then I would have panic attacks. And then there was those moments when I would literally have this, oh, my God, I have done permanent unrepairable damage. And right. I had moments where I literally, there was moments where I thought I might be dying soon. Um, and I can't, thought, this, this I just, is Jean. I have a question for you. Did yeah, you ever do that prolonged stare in the mirror where you like look really closely at your eyes when you're drinking to see like if you could see weird spots in your eyes or like checking your nose for broken veins and oh. like, did you ever do that like long oh gosh. stare so my, face, <laughs> my face first of all I, I should let you know um, that I have aged so much faster than any of my friends now, maybe this, some of this is genetic, but there's no question that I drank myself a lot older than I am. Um, so now I'm a distinguished, older, sexy man at a young, middle-aged life. It's okay. <laughs> um, but certainly um, I, the, my cheeks and my nose, and so what I would have to do is um, I constantly was, this is gross, but we're on the bubble hour, so we've got to be real, um, I would squeeze my nose so that the pores would like get the grease out so that I was I was trying to avoid like the quote unquote alcoholic's red nose. Yeah. You know, right. so, um, like, or the red the cheeks. Solution, though, right? like, it, exactly. The solution, so like, get a facial. I have help. a red nose and a red cheek. So I was literally <laughs> pinching my face like my face. So I think I broke vessels and stuff on my face from just trying to get rid of what was coming on naturally. <laughs> From the drinking. This um, is Jean. I, I had one of those iridology yeah. iridology charts. You know, it says like what every little um, little mark on your iris is. And oh, so I no. had this, like this magnifying mirror, and I was like staring into my into this mirror, looking at my eye with this chart to try oh. to see if I could confirm any damage. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, and and Just how how many times do you uh, read the WebMDs and stuff like that? Like, um, oh, yeah, my urine yeah. smells like this, or this is that, or is that, and uh, <laughs> what's, what's the color of this? Or yeah, and, I mean, and even I would say that for me, that extends also to to my mental health because I once WebMD'd. Um, self-diagnosed myself as borderline personality. I mean, it turns out I was just a garden variety yeah. alcoholic, but um, right. I was like, oh, I'm, I think I'm definitely borderline. <laughs> like, that is anything but alcoholic, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it was like a, 
I'm sitting in the front. I just, that was also probably one of those times of like, you know, paging through those questions, like you may be an alcoholic if, and I'd be sitting there with my seventh glass of wine, like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah these are only sort of true. I'm going to answer no. <laughs> oh, right. This is, this is Amanda. I just well, have it's to funny. When you get the, to that, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. Is, I was just going to say for the, for the others out there, I, um, I was in complete denial and never looked up anything and never cared if there was something wrong with my health. So for for those listening who never looked up those things, that happens too. I was like, I turned a blind eye. I'm like, <laughs> well, there was a half and half for me. Like, I would get to a point where then I would stop reading because I don't, you know, I wouldn't want to know what the final answer was. Yeah. Um, the old but I do feel approach. that, like, for me at least, I got to a point where, I knew I had the problem, and then it was just kind of like, mm. how how bad do I have it, maybe? Or um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that actually, that what Catherine, I think, was saying uh, leads me to the next one, which is freedom from anxiety. Um, mm. So it wasn't just health, but so that that's one of the, the greatest loops that I found is gone, is um, I, I thought I drank to calm me down because I had natural anxiety, but I really feel that I was drinking to relieve the anxiety I was having caused by the alcohol. Um, Right. But I mean, simple stuff like the am I dying? (laughs) I guess that's simple stuff. Um, (laughs) But also, you know, like, uh, when's my next drink coming? Do they smell the drink on my breath? Um, You know, am I missing out life? I, you know, but I, I had just this always, and and it's funny because my wife, she um, drinks sometimes and doesn't drink other times. But she notices that when she does have a few drinks that she has this natural anxiety the next day, like something's wrong. And we mm-hmm. totally notice that it only happens when it's like a reaction to her body from alcohol. It's like worrying about something that's not there. And, um, man, I lived in that worry. And mm-hmm. what's so funny is that, I lived in the worry, but then I also had tons of anxiety about everything I was doing wrong, all that I was missing. And so it just kept compounding like, oh, man, I haven't done, you know, I haven't played a show in this long or all that stuff. And then, of course, the drinking would be my solution to it, you know, as Homer Simpson says, the cause of and the solution to all the problems. And so (laughs) then I would get back, back into it and not realizing that that laziness would then cause me to have the anxiety in the first place and that half of my anxiety was from not getting stuff done because that leads me to the next one. I got freedom from apathy. Um, and that was mm-hmm. a huge one for me. Um, you know, I thought that relaxing and chilling at home was like where it's at. But um, now I've realized that for me, at least now, like accomplishment is where I get happiness from. And I think that's because I spent so much time um, being okay and like kind of in that blanket of just, well, all right, I'll just sit here and be warm, you know, for now. Um, so I love the fact that I can't sit around anymore. Um, I know that it's it, that could be annoying to some people, but for me, having wasted so much time, um, I love the fact that I'm anxious to do do stuff now instead of just, you know, stay relaxed. Um, freedom to follow my dreams. Um, that goes back to the whole music thing. Ever since I stopped drinking, I've been playing out live. I have a, a monthly gig, and plus other, I've written 
tons of new songs, started my own business. I'm now self-employed, making more money than I did working at my last job. Like all, like I have one of those crazy blessed stories where um, I was just able to have a whole bunch of stuff fall into place once I was able to, as you guys say, you know, uh, be present for it and deal yeah. with it. Um, but get stuff done. I mean, it's, that's another thing that's so funny. It's like I was in this loop of depression about stuff not getting done. And a lot of it really just took a few weeks of just spending a few hours a day or a night doing things instead of not doing things, which is what alcohol always led me to do, um, was nothing. Yeah, and, I was um, the, that was the exact same. I don't know if that I, – I think that apathy is like, I don't know, some fear-based stuff but I had the same thing and for years I had this little tiny voice on my shoulder I've talked about this on the show before saying to me you know all of your dreams could come true if only you stopped drinking for years <laughs> this would happen yeah and I was like oh yeah yeah well, anything but that you know mm-hmm. yeah well and you know what's so sad about that and and like I I really don't preach to any of my friends or anything like that but i do um and i i think Catherine saw this i posted this on a social network but i believe that as a culture we have a very alcohol-based culture and it's really mm-hmm. accepted and stuff like that and so i unfortunately feel that i have tons of friends who i hear them saying stuff like if only I had time to, you know, if I, I want to paint or I want to do this, and if only I, you know, yeah, but I have to work. And these are people that I know drink on the weekends, you know, like socially. Um, but, you know, they would rather spend a Sunday afternoon drinking around a grill than working on the art that they say that they want to do. And it's just so strange that I've met so many people, um, even before I quit drinking, um, who are just incredibly productive who just don't drink. And some of them it was not even out of a need for recovery. It's just, um, you know, kind of what I'm learning is that when you – drinking does literally slow down the artistic mind. Um, you know, at first for me, this is a good one for the artists out there. There's no question that I it would, like, lube me up to uh, to have these great ideas. So I learned that, like, you know, drinking would give me five million great ideas, but never the energy to finish one. And so, mm-hmm. um, like, it, all of those great arts plans and wonderful things that I know I could be meant nothing if I was getting nothing <laughs> of it done. So uh, maybe my plans aren't as are, – you know, I also fantasized, of course, you know, when I woke up the next morning, I was like, what was that awesome idea that was going to save the world? You know, and it, <laughs> I know it's so important. Um, so maybe my ideas aren't as fantastic, but at least I'm like starting to step towards them. And and then also within that, there's that freedom of uh, the loss of expectation and being able to live uh, like an authentic, unapologetic life where you can be vulnerable um, but able to handle the mistakes that you make and then like have the energy to to try again or to improve mm-hmm. upon it, but but never have the shame uh, around it. Um, you know, and, and it's like this great thing of that recovery. One thing I think that recovery has done great for me is um, humble me as to, uh, you know, just like being so grateful for everything I have. And I saw, Catherine, on your prep notes, there was a question about the wishful thinking stuff, you know, 
why can't yeah. I still drink? And and uh, there was definitely a part of me that had that, mostly actually while I was still active, when I knew I had to quit, that's when I had a lot of those wishful thinking thoughts before I had given up drinking of just like, why why do I have to give this up? Like, why am I the one who can't fit in and stuff? But I'm definitely blessed enough right now to be far enough away from it that my wishful thinking has turned into like thankful thinking um, where I'm more like so happy just to like to be a normal person. You know, maybe I'm not normal that I can have a few drinks and, and not have it lead to a, a problem, but I, I'm a normal person now that I can hang out till the end of a party and drive people home and be coherent and responsible and, and still have fun. Um, and so I'm also like thankful that I don't have to worry about quitting drinks all the time. Like that was a huge burden on me for years, knowing I had a yeah. problem and not doing anything about it. And it just well, so kept sinking. And yeah, I, I think that the the wishful thinking thing, and I, you know, I I knew this guy whose mother used to say, if wishes were fishes, we'd all have a fry. And that was <laughs> me. I was always I was always in this wishful thinking mode. And I think in recovery there's kind of two modes that that can take. And the first one is the one that you mentioned, which is why can't I just drink like a normal person? It's not fair. And then sometimes what we can think is, I wish I could just take a break from all the work of sobriety. So, I mm. mean, just to, to anybody, you know, any of you, like this work of sobriety, does that feel like freedom or does it feel like a burden? Amanda, how about you? Yeah, well, anybody. I'll, I'll kick it to Amanda. Um, um, for me, it's it's uh, it's not a burden at all. I mean, it's um, the things that I've learned in recovery have taught me how to be free. You know, um, one big thing for me is not having to be in control of everything, like learning to just mm-hmm. let go. That's like a mantra that I say sometimes, you know, when I get all wound up in my head. You know, there's times where I'd be like, I, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to fix this. And I would drive myself insane, you know, back when I was drinking. And now when I ca- I still have those thoughts sometimes because it's natural for me. And But, you know, when those come up, you know, now I know to say, like, okay, stop it. You can't control people, places, or things. you got to just let this go and just let things happen as they're going to happen. And, you know, I do my part, you know, in, in – um, any given situation and then and then I just let it go. And um to me that's a that's a huge freedom. Um because yeah. I used to I used to just drive myself crazy with those type of things and um it was just like this this uh, you know being a, a hamster on a wheel just like the these thoughts spinning like oh I can do this and then if I do this it's going to you know it's going to fix this situation and and it just didn't. And so you know learning to do that and um just, just freedom from, you know, uh, fear. You know, we talk a lot about fears. And, you know, it's not complete freedom from fears because that's a work in prog- progress. But, you know, um, learning, you know, how to face my fear, fears and deal with them. Like those are all, to me, I don't think of the work of recovery as uh, a burden at all. I think I look at it as a gift, like um People who are not in recovery, I feel like they're slighted, like they're missing out on something because we get to, I don't know, I think, you know, just, uh, you know, stopping drinking is one thing. That's that's like the first thing that we have to do and probably, you know, but after that, there's so much more to life and I've learned how to live such a better life 
by, mm. you know, working a program of recovery. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just everyone could benefit from it, whether they have a problem with alcohol or not. It's just uh, living a more authentic and genuine life. And um, to me, it's it's wonderful. It's worth every bit of time. And, and I enjoy the work. I enjoy spending time with my, the, you know, my friends in recovery and, um, and digging in and looking at myself a little bit. You know, I actually enjoy that too. It's, you know, like being able to, I love what you say. I, I use what you say all the time, Catherine, like, is that true? Um, mm-hmm. That's something, you know, that is a, a, a really simple way of handling a lot of things that we encounter, you know, I my brain can get really out of control, and it was doing it the other day, and I was like, this is not true, you know, I, and I was able mm-hmm. to <laughs> able to say that to myself and, and actually calm down something, you know, that would have probably had me really upset or wound up. I, I was able to just, like, stop my thoughts and, um, and, change, and change my day, change my day in the middle of the day and say okay you know what you're ridiculous you know this is ridiculous your thinking is out of line and and it was you know as you know things unfolded through the course of the day it was you know my thoughts were completely <laughs> crazy for a lack of a better word mm-hmm. um so I, I don't know i hope that made sense a little babbly there yeah <laughs> Absolutely, and I, I feel like that 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 strange loop that our brains can get into maybe maybe that's a good entry point into talking about you know we know that as alcoholics one drink will trigger the physical phenomenon of craving and the mental obsession with alcohol which Scott you kind of touched on by saying you know you're you're physical physically free. Um, but then also mentally free of this anxiety. And, and you said, like, for example, where is my next drink going to come from? Um, you know, are people going to notice that sort of thing? Um, one thought that I had on that topic was this, sometimes we can feel when we first get sober, we can experience grief that we're, we're letting go of alcohol. So, um, you know, did, Scott, did you have that experience at all of sort of going through any sort of mourning period of our, you know, well, of an old friend and foe? Yeah, you know, I, it's funny that you say that. I actually have a I, – I write songs that I, later I find out that are very much about this stuff, but I have a song almost written about that um, – which is called killing a friend. <laughs> um, for, for me, the uh, <laughs> the the grieving part for me happened. I think I already kind of mentioned this a little bit, but um, while I was still drinking, um, you know, it's kind of like when you have that relationship or something that you know is killing you, and you. I ended up already knowing I had to kill it and and grieving it and. You know, through the different times I tried to quit, um, and so by the time I was able to quit, there was no grief. It was all thankfulness um, that it was done finally. That like the, mm-hmm. the closure of it, of the body being buried, if you will. But um, the lyrics of the song were kind of like, uh, "Only way out is killing a friend." Um, <laughs> Uh, for better, for better, I'm killing a friend. One of our lives is bound to end. So hard, so hard, killing a friend. You know, wow. And, um, wow. And, yeah, it's like I, I, I knew my. 
Well, it's like, I, and then the, some of the lyrics were, I knew my friends since we were kids, you know, hung out here and there. As we got older, we grew closer, started spending all our time together. Uh, then as we got old, things got creepy. You know, he would come over <laughs> early for breakfast and not leave till I went to bed. You know, <laughs> But that is kind of what happened was, like, I had this yeah. awesome friend who was my best party friend and there when I needed them. And, you know, for the always there, that was another line, always wish me for the good times, always there for the bad, um, you know, helping me get through the bad and stuff. And so it really was definitely like a friend, a buddy in the party. And um, But, yeah, as far as grieving goes, I, like, by the time I finally was able to put the bottle down for a substantial amount of time, I had already gone through that. Yeah, it, it it it's a big relief, absolutely. But you know, speaking of saying, well, it was it was there for the hard times. You know, I, I think a lot of us would identify with that that we justified our drinking with yeah. life's hardships. You know, and so, sort of saying, oh, we're seeking relief from those problems, from job loss or divorce or loss of a loved one. And but I sometimes find that when we get sober, we're we can be sort of dismayed to find out that those problems still come our way, you know, that, right. you know, we might have some wishful thinking around numbing out from life's problems. Um, so there, it seems to me that there's a freedom that exists in showing up for life on life's terms. And you know, Gina, I'll turn that over to you. What's, what's your experience with that? Um, well, I'm a good one to ask about this because I'm going through some really heavy stuff right now. And honestly, a, a, a friend of mine passed away recently, and I and she had been sick for a long time, so I knew she was terminally ill, and I knew this phone call was going to come. But let me tell you, when I got that phone call, I immediately thought, God, it would be nice to have a drink right now. It would be nice mm-hmm. to not feel what I'm feeling right now. It was definitely you know, still there. I mean, three years of sobriety, and I wasn't in danger of throwing it out the window, but it's just shocking to me how that is my go-to, that is my go-to idea for handling tough emotions. Um, so, So it's pretty close to the surface for me right now, but, you know, I think I've learned that expression, when you're going through hell, keep going, that there's a lot to be said for that. And what I have come to realize is that I spent the first 40 several years of my life um, handling hard things by pretending they didn't exist, pretending they didn't hurt me. I thought being strong meant not showing my emotion, not letting others see me cry or be sad or um, just, trying to rise above. I always tried to rise above and be strong and be admirable. And yet, I was still the person who was who, you know, would would wallow because I couldn't get through it. So, now I'm I've learned to actually deal with what I'm feeling and that I'm not strong when I'm denying how I feel. I'm not I, I'm strong when I acknowledge it, accept the reality of the situation and process it. And you can you can process your feelings a lot better sober than you can yeah. drunk. I think when, when we drink, we just keep hitting the pause button. I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with it later. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, yeah. it sort of morphs and kind of turns, you know, it rots inside of us and it festers. And so my hope um, 
with what I'm going through now, um, I'm also dealing with my dad who has Parkinson's disease, and I'm watching his decline into um, losing his, you know, just his ability to move around and just, I was with him today and, you know, he, he wanted to walk over in the window and watch the rain and that took all of his strength and two of us helping him to do that. And mm. and that's a hard thing for anyone to see, you know, just to see someone go from being um, like hell on wheels to, to having a hard time moving around and, and yet... I'm there for him, I'm there for me, I'm processing it, I'm showing up for it. And so my hope is that um, it, I won't be wallowing and I, you get through it faster if you actually deal with it as you go through it. Right. Um, and I, I want to go I back. Found myself, quick- um, well, I was just going to just quickly say I found myself a lot of times when I like heavy stuff hits these days, actually having this feeling of like, wow, I'm so glad I'm not drunk right now because I wouldn't be able to handle it. And I don't know how I handled some stuff back then, but, um, yeah, I've had this feeling of just like, oh, my gosh, thank – like I I lost my job and I was like, thank God I'm sober now because I would – that would have devastated me if Mm -hmm. I was drinking like I did then and didn't have to go to an office every day. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Like, I, I definitely am often grateful that I'm I'm 100% present for what's going on around me, whether it's good or bad, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm really feeling like I can I can give genuinely from myself to that to whatever situation I'm in. So that right, it's it's much better now. It's it's hard. I'm not gonna lie. It it it's really it it is hard. Um, it would be easier in some ways. It would seem easier to escape, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but but I know that 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 wears us down in the long term. Like it's easier to go to bed without brushing your teeth, but in the long term, it's not good for right. you. <laughs> right? It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, the rewarding I, way is never the easy way, right? Yeah, and I yeah. appreciate Jean. Your your thank thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm really sorry about all of this hard stuff, and it's. But it does make me think, Scott alluded to this in the beginning, how once he started hearing other people's stories in recovery, he started to identify. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on the show, we're always talking about, you know, not trying to do this alone, seeking out fellowships, seeking out um, people in real life. Because, number one, we don't have to go through these hard things alone, um, which I know myself, that was always my go-to method. And then number two, when we hear other people's experiences like genes today of, of moving through sadness, staying sober, we learn how to deal with our lives and show up for our lives from each other. So um, I, I think that's one of the things we always try to achieve on the show is to help people know that they're not alone and to, mm-hmm. we, you know, I learn every week from, from everybody on the show. Um, anyway, and Jean, you, I think you had one other comment that you were, you wanted to go um, back to something. Well, I, I'm, I was, but I'm, I'm going to say something else instead because I, I feel like this is important to say right now. I think for a lot of people in recovery that are taking it one day at a time, some people harbor a secret thought in their mind, I believe, of where the line is, you know, 
mm-hmm. of of what would what would be okay to drink over, you know. Right. So I'm gonna stay sober today, but if something really bad happened, it would be okay to drink, you know. If my if my I don't know, if the worst thing happened, you know. If 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 someone I love dies, then I, I'm going to give myself permission to drink if something really bad happens. And I feel like that needs to be said that think about it, listeners. Ask yourself, do you have that line in your mind? Or are you really understanding that no matter what happens, you can get through it without permitting yourself to drink? That there's That, that you can do this no matter what. I'm going to stay sober today no matter what. And yeah, I challenge I've, I've you because I think a lot of people hide that in their heart. Yeah, that they, they they give themselves a line. That I'm glad. Thank you for mentioning that, Gina. You know, I I know I have heard some unbelievable stories of I, I know some people who lost an infant um, who died, and they both they were both in recovery. They stayed sober. I know a woman who has early onset Alzheimer's. I know a woman who's almost 100 years old and is sober, and she's in a lot of pain. You know, she's just, she's barely old. And um, she's like, you know, I'd, who would care, she says, you know, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay sober. Um, you know, I've, I think we've we've had a guest on the show whose who's daughter, 17-year-old daughter, had had an accident and is brain damaged and almost died and he has stayed sober. I mean, we can do hard things as long as we're together. Um, so that's that's a great point. Scott, do you have any other thoughts on that? Mm. No, I think that, um, yeah, I just, I think uh, some, for, for me at least I've gotten to a point where I just know, I, I can objectively think about alcohol and I know that no matter how short term the relief will be of of what it might cause me physically, that it just ties to misery down the road, and that yeah. any problem that hits me in life would be compounded. Or as I loved what I think maybe Gene said that Alpha just keeps pausing, putting stuff on pause. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So if it doesn't, if it if alcohol doesn't make the problem that I'm dealing with worse it's going to just pause my ability to really deal with it or accept it or process it. And yeah. um, so for me, I just, I'm luckily to have that mind frame now where I just know there's, there's no benefit, no matter it's a trick, the, the short term benefit for me at least. Yeah. Right. So what about the flip yeah, was, side? Yeah. Go ahead. No, I'll, go ahead. You were going to say something. Well, I was side. just going to say, you know, on the flip side, I, I recently heard a friend in recovery say that she's learned that life is for living, not enduring. So now when we have times that we can celebrate life, you know, let's discuss that. Um, you know, Scott, you're a celebratory kind of guy. <laughs> How does it feel now to have good times sober? Well, what's really funny about it is that, um, you know, I'm the kind of like, I'm sort of one of those life of the party type personalities. And um, I really wondered what was going to happen when I stopped drinking about that. Uh, (laughs) And I actually found out that, um, first of all, my humor is, I think, a lot sharper. Um, (laughs) But that I'm... (laughs) 
I, I feel that uh, I don't know. I just feel that I'm I'm able to really celebrate in you know stuff that's meaningful. Like um, one of the things that I, it's a this hilarious. It sounds hilarious and it's so simple, but and now my kids start saying it. But I always say the stuff like "Blessed day we are still alive," and I mean it. Mm-hmm. Like we are still living. Whatever this is, whatever this thing called life is is still happening right now and that to me is like this amazing miracle and because that just that means that moment has so many possibilities to it and what i've learned now is that when i was drinking the amount of possibilities that were available to me at any given time were numbed to almost such a limited amount mm-hmm. um and so it wasn't i wasn't able to to act upon all of these magical things that life can can do but as a sober person uh instead of just drinking and dancing because that's what we're doing and I'm dancing because I'm feeling good and I'm drinking you know like that kind of loop like I am so present in the moment of like I might I'm I'm here on this planet or whatever this is with this soul and we're we're doing this together and it's you know it's really deep fun cosmic almost stuff that you would think people would think that way after they've been drinking and I'm coming to find <laughs> it sober um that like this is you know and then also the things that used to make me happy with partying um are limiting now to I need to be having more to it so that the next mornings it's not like oh yeah we had a great time but the next morning might be like oh we like wrote a play together or or we did this or or it's so it just all the celebrations are for real reasons um, right but I, I i don't find myself and i know that i have friends who in recovery who had the opposite reaction who were life of the party type people and then who couldn't and still can't um hang around that kind of scenario anymore um, so I, I totally see that side of it as well. Um, right. So I don't know. Yeah. Catherine, this Amanda. Is yeah, go ahead, Jean. I, I just want to jump in too and say today I was, I was cleaning my kitchen and you know I, I love my family to death but they leave their damn cups all over the house and I was picking up these cups and I was doing laundry and and all of a sudden I just I thought about my friend who's gone and my dad who can't mm-hmm. walk across the room and I thought this is life like mm-hmm. yeah. wiping the counter and washing the dishes this is life yeah. doing things for our family this is life this is it like dig in appreciate the counter I have yes. a beautiful quartz counter it costs beautiful. a small fortune I'd love that damn counter you know <laughs> and my, my tea towels match my dishcloth like let's appreciate all this and look at those leaves outside the window. And, you know, I turned that moment on a dime just by realizing, like you said, Scott, I'm alive. I, oh, I'm yeah. running up and down the stairs with a laundry basket without even appreciating the gift of, of walking, you know. And right. it's just when we take those moments to really feel it, I, I spent 10 years feeling as little as possible. And it's 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 important to know that, you know, yes, I was able to lop the top off of my pain with alcohol, but it also numbed my capacity for joy. And to just take a moment and just feel the joy in the dumb little things that we do every day without even noticing it. Well, I feel that in. (laughs) 
Jean, Jean, when you adopt me, as you have promised to do, I promise to put my dishes in the dishwasher and to make my bed. But you are my favorite daughter. <laughs> yes. I, having, having said all of that, I think that, you know, what you and Scott are describing, it's important to note that this isn't just Pollyanna thinking that, oh, once we get sober, then suddenly, you know, we can think these beautiful thoughts it's it's freedom to make an active choice yeah to look at the situation in a certain way and it's freedom to practice gratitude i mean we we talk about that a lot in the show and anybody who's who's wondering more about that we did an episode back in november about gratitude that really talked about it as a practice, as an active practice. And I have found that it's the fastest road out of despair for me. Um, and so those things, I mean, that's their freedoms in making those choices and practicing those things. That's not just sort of pie in the sky thinking. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important was, um... to note. I see that we're, the time is running down here. There was one last freedom I had on here on the list yeah. um, that that goes along with this, but it's free. I, I had it written here it's, it's, but to, as freedom to free others. But, like, what I mean by that is, um, you know, I have been able to be more present, and, and what I've realized is that um, how, how much of a group effort recovery can be and that you always um, – you know, I think that people always make the decisions of what the changes they want to make in their lives based on them seeing other people do it. I really am starting mm-hmm. to believe this. And that you can want stuff, but if you've never seen someone go through it, it it doesn't work. And so uh, for me, I have uh, a dear friend who is now, I think, at eight, eight or nine years, maybe even more, of recovery, of non-drinking. And what happened was year after year, I would see her on Facebook say, like, year four, year five. And that's when I was like, oh, my gosh, she's really doing it. Like, this is a peer of mine. You know, we drank a ton together, and she's now years down the road, and I'm mm. still thinking about it. So I asked her, you know, I, I Facebook messaged her or whatever, you know, uh, behind the scenes, hey, just curious, you know, what what made you cause to do that? And uh, And, oh, you know, that was – still probably two or three years before I was able to quit. But what was so funny is once I finally quit and started telling people about it, then all of a sudden I was hearing the exact questions that I was asking for three years ago. I was like, oh, my gosh, like I know if they're asking that question to me that there's already, like if they're asking, you know, it's that they do have that thing. If you ask the question, you probably need to think about yeah. it. Um but it was so funny to then be on the other side of it and be like, wow. And so when I'm free to free others, like I'm free to actually be honest with my story. And that's a, this, this is maybe my favorite story of the whole recovery. Um, but there was a social group that I was I'm a part of. And I wanted to, after it was a year of me not drinking, I wanted to wait till that was done, but to make an announcement and say I have been a year without alcohol um, and just just basically to provide the space that that person provided for me. 
um, and to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I'm fighting this battle here, because I have one friend who says, like, possibly we're all fighting the same dragon, but we're fighting them in our own homes without telling anybody. And so mm-hmm. we're all getting crushed by this dragon. But if we all said, hey, I'm fighting that dragon, oh, you are too, and then we realize that there's so many more people fighting it, then we have a chance against it. So <clears throat> in this social circle, I have some people who were influential on my job, like pretty prominent people in where I live. And I was really scared to let them know that if, you know, I work with kids and if they know I'm a recovering alcoholic and stuff like that, what would they think? You know, they'd judge me, all this stuff. Anyway, I I let the part of me that I knew was right come out and say, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not ashamed of this. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's so much more normal than I think. Anyway, I went ahead and put this out there and um, to to everybody that I know. And so a couple months, or about a month later, I run into this one very prominent person that I was so nervous about finding out that I was an alcoholic. And um, she came up to me and said, Scott, I saw this uh, thing that you had written, and my heart sunk to my stomach. I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my God, this is it. And they said, you know, I just want to let you know when I read that, my, my partner and I looked at each other and we realized that, you know, we've been drinking too much and, and my, him in particular and all that stuff. And, and your post was able to, to let us start to have these conversations. And, and I saw, you know, that you weren't. And all of a sudden I realized that the person I was most fearful of hearing <laughs> mm-hmm. my problem needed to hear it the most. And it was only wow. my ego and 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 the the shame of being oh I I you know this illusion of shame over something that we know is a disease of addiction, um, you know, almost stopped me from saying it out loud. But I but saying it out loud was able to then start the freedom, if you will, in someone else possibly. Um, so I just think it's so important to have shows like the Bubble Hour, um, to have all of these different programs, but where people can start to put that out there. And I really hope, you know, I do work with addiction um, in my job and stuff like that. And I really think one of the the most important things that we can do is to make it something that people talk about as a normal, regular thing to understand that everyone knows someone who is suffering addiction, whether they are aware of it or not. But statistically, it's impossible not to. Um, and so that we can actually start right. taking these things, putting them out in front and, and dealing with them. You know, and I, there's a little saying that says, uh, our secrets are, are, or our challenges want to be kept a secret because they know once they're brought to the light, um, they will have no chance of surviving. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it, it, you know, it's just so important to appropriately, when you can, share your stories uh, with people around you so that you can help them, you know, start their own story. This is Jean. Catherine, is it okay if I give a shameless plug for my new Facebook page? Why wouldn't you? Advocacy page, so... <laughs> Um, our listeners, I'm sure, know that I write a blog called Unpickled, and I just created a new Facebook um, page, so it's facebook.com slash unpickled, and I um, use uh, graphic quotes that are conversation starters for the type of recovery advocacy that Scott just described so beautifully. So the page is set up so that it really talks about everyone knows someone in recovery, even if they don't know they know. And so by Mm -hmm. liking that page, you're not necessarily outing yourself 
as a person in recovery, but you're you're saying I support the idea of supporting people in recovery. And there's great graphic quotes that are the type of thing that you could share or send to someone with without just as a conversation starter or as a gentle advocacy for recovery. So I I know people are sensitive about that at different times of their recovery, but if it feels Mm. right for you, I think it's a fabulous thing to do. And um, if you want to just at least just take a look and see if there's something there that might help you help someone else understand. Thank you, Jean. It's brilliant. This is Amanda. And, Jean, I love your page. I I love all the stuff that you've been posting up there. And I just, Scott, I have to ask you, have you seen the anonymous people? The anonymous people? I'm not sure. It's a movie. It's a movie. You have oh, to no, see no, it. I have not. No. The anonymous people. Yeah, you people? have to look it up. You will love it. It's called the anonymous people. You will love people. it. Yep. You will absolutely love it. It's all okay. about recovery advocacy and exactly what you're talking about. It's a whole movement that's going on that we're very passionate about. Or I, I'm, very, I am absolutely very passionate about, but I believe Jean and Catherine are too. It's, it's awesome. Um, yeah, I'll check it out for sure. For our listeners who who are not familiar with with the movie, um, it's a documentary that's um, very uh, recovery advocacy sort of in that public policy space, Um, and it it talks about you know actually Scott your story of working um, with incarcerated children is very relevant because it talks about recidivism rates. of people who are not given recovery tools versus, um, you know, if if people who are addicted are taught how to live sober lives, then it's less likely that they'll go back to prison. There's lots of things about what the recovery um, health sort of community could be doing and what that should look like. So it's called the anonymous people. Um, Scott, right up your alley there. And, I would definitely uh, check I, it out. Yeah. Highly recommend. So as we come to a close, I, I thought it would be fitting to close with this section from the Alcoholics Anonymous big book called The Promises that are often quoted, um, but I think it's sort of relevant here. So it says, If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. So with that, I'd like to thank Scott for being with us tonight. I'm just, I'm really moved by so much of, of what you had to say. And I've, I've got a lot to think about here as we, you know, um, as we head here in the States to our Independence Day. Um, Jean, you won't have all the fireworks that we have. 
um, in Canada, but we have those, a few. We can yeah. rock a we can rock a little firework over the lake. Yeah, here. <laughs> and you know, so so here, you know, here tonight we have our own freedom. So Scott, thank you very much. Oh, it was such a pleasure. Thank you all for uh, inviting me and for for putting on this great show for uh, everyone out there. Thanks, we're, Scott. we're so Thanks glad to, to have you. you. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, Jean and Amanda, and thank you to all of our listeners. And as we close the show tonight, we'd like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org. There you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, as well as links to some other initiatives around recovery advocacy. If you'd like to go directly to the Bubble Hour's website, that is thebubblehour.com, and there you can listen to our shows directly from the website, or you can follow a link to subscribe to our podcast. We thank you all for listening to the Bubble Hour and hope you all have a great evening. Thank you so much. Thank Good you. Night. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.